You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Amen. All right, so quick question as we uh, jump into uh, things today. The top three highest grossing movies of all time. So if you took all of the movies that have been created and you threw them in a pot and you pulled out the ones who have made the most money, here's the top three. So the number three, I'm not going to tell you the title yet. So it's grossed over two billion with a B dollars. Came out in 1997. All right. So think in your mind, see if you know it, see if you're right. If you said, go ahead and show the slide. If you said Titanic, you're right. Anybody say Titanic? I see some of you in here, you're like, know it. Seen it 10 times. Don't tell my mom. All right, so that's Titanic. All right, number two, highest grossing film of all time. A little closer to 3 billion. I think we're kind of still waiting to hit that number. Came out in 2009. Avatar, all right. I was surprised by that one. So I think we need some more wisdom in our movie watching. But anyway, that's whatever. That's that. Okay? All right, number one, $2.7 billion, 2019. Avengers Endgame, all right? So those are the top movies of all time. Here's what's interesting about those movie posters. There's a lot of people who didn't make the poster who were involved in the movie, right? So we tend to put the the people of prominence on the poster, whether it's a, a love story that we put the two people who are in love on the poster, or it's Avengers Endgame where we put all of the main characters on the poster. You just have to know that, that somebody came up with all of the costumes. Somebody came up with designing all of the, the sets. Somebody was someone's job to make sure that there was food available for all the, the actors while they were filming. Someone's job was to keep track of how much money was being spent on the film so we actually could make some money once the film was released. How many of you know in life there are people involved in things that don't get attention? They don't get highlighted. They don't make the movie poster. And as we finish up the book of Colossians today, I titled the message today, Blah, Blah, Blah. Uh, Not because I'm hoping it's boring, but because today what's going to happen is we're going to find a list of names in the final verses of the book of Colossians that Paul brings up. You know, and it's really easy to just like skate right on by and be like, well, there's, there's not much here. Like there's no action here. Let's just move on to the next thing. But Paul wants to highlight these people. He wants us to, to slow down and to pay attention to them. Sure, maybe we've never heard of some of them before, but it's just important to remember that there are people who matter who don't always get attention. And if there's something that's true about the kingdom of God, 
as it is a table not just where everyone is welcome, not just where everyone has a place, but it's more beautiful than that. Everyone has a role. And so Colossians chapter 4, we find these words. The heading in my Bible says further instructions. There's always further instructions, right? There's always instructions after the instructions. So Paul says this before he goes to the list of names. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may, what, open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And then he's going to get to these lists of names. And this is the moment after the movie's over and the credits start to roll when everyone brushes the popcorn off of their lap make sure there's a little any more to drink in the drink that they brought in and they walk out of the movie theater and the poor person running the projector just sits there and has to watch all of the names scroll that no one's really that concerned about unless your uncle worked for the movie so he says Tychicus will tell you all of the news about me he is a dear brother a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You received him instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. Don't let that trip you up. Yes, he has been resurrected, and he has been raised to life, and he's seated on the heavenly throne. Jesus was a common name in the ancient world. So we're not talking about Jesus of Nazareth. I had a youth group kid who was real confused about that, so just clearing everything up for you. Um, there are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm and all of the will of God, mature and fully assured, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, finally a name we can all actually say without hurting ourselves. The doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. And I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. 
grace be with you. So he gives them a few final instructions. Instruction number one, devote yourselves to prayer. If you're going to do anything, if you've listened to anything that I have already told you in this letter, if, if you made it to chapter 4 and you're still reading, remember in the ancient world this letter would have been read and would have been passed around. If you've listened to anything, devote yourself to prayer. You know, and we are devoted to all kinds of things, aren't we? Now, many of us, when we wake up in the morning, we are very devoted to something called coffee. Happens like clockwork. We don't have to ask ourselves, I wonder if I should have some coffee today. Like, you just sort of wake up with that. There's a devotion to it. Um, there are electronic devices in the earth that we are devoted to. We are faithful in checking email and text messages and what everybody has to say about what's happening in the earth and what's happening with them. And so we don't have to conjure up in our mind today, like, if that applies to us, if we're devoted to anything, because we absolutely are. But Paul wants the Colossians Again, remember, these are, these are new followers of Jesus. These are not people who have been walking with the Lord a long time. These are baby Christians, and that's not a diss. That just means that they're new. And he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And can I just remind you, when you are devoted to something, you come back to it again and again and again and again. I can remember guys in my dorm when I was in college, third floor Burgess Hall, who wanted so badly to play guitar. And so there would often be a knock on my door. Hey, uh, can you teach me how to play this song for my girlfriend? And we did a lot of that in those days. And I told him, I'm like, it's not going to work unless you're going to take what we've just, of what I've just taught you and you're going to continue to do it. Like, it's not going to work. This is not just like a one-time thing. You have to come to it again and again and again and again. So I tell them, I'm not going to teach you how to play John Mayer unless you will not, unless you'll promise me that you're going to practice every day. I'm not going to open up that door. And so when Paul's saying, I want you to be devoted to prayer, I believe he's saying a couple things. One of the things he's saying is, you need to come to prayer again and again and again and again and again. Not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. Not just when the, the answers are easily found and experienced, but when there's silence. Will you come to prayer again and again? And so I just wonder for us today, like what have we stopped praying about? What have we prayed about in another season of life and we've just decided that God's not answering that prayer. God doesn't want anything to do with that prayer. So we've stopped praying. And we've found something else to pray about. Well, maybe God will answer this. It's the moment in the vending machine when there's nothing in D4. And so you are okay with E6 because there's something there. So you put your money in and it comes out. And I think Paul wants the Colossian church to come to prayer again and again and again to be devoted to it. 
And this is not just big things. This is not just earth-shattering things, but these are small things too. He wants the kids of the Colossian church to trust God. So he wants the Colossian kids in this church to, to talk to God about their friends, to talk to God about their feelings, talk to God about their fears, talk to God about nightmares. And he wants these senior adult Colossian Christians who came to know the Lord late in life to pray about the things in the earth that trouble them, to pray about the hardship that they're experiencing. So Paul says, if you're going to do anything, be devoted to prayer. Number two, instruction. Be wise as you interact with outsiders. All over in the Bible, we see this circumstance playing out of light and darkness, insiders and outsiders, people who understand and people who don't understand. And Paul says the idea of being a follower of Jesus is that you would have consistent, regular, and meaningful interactions with people who do not believe what you believe. So that should not be shocking to us. That should, <laughs> that's the idea, is that we would have consistent and meaningful interactions with people who do not believe the Jesus way. And if we're going to have those interactions, we need to be wise. We need to be wise in how we listen. We need to be wise in what comes out of our mouth. We need to know when to speak and when to be silent. Because words have power. And words testify to who God is. So our words become our witness in a very real way. And so if you're interacting with someone who doesn't know, who's on, on the outside of things, we need to be wise in how we engage with them. So be devoted to prayer. Be wise about your interactions with outsiders. And then a third one that's sort of tied to number two, let your conversation always be full of grace. So I just want to ask you what your conversations were like in the last 10 days. Like, what did you find yourself talking about? But there's a lot of us in the room found ourselves talking about the coronavirus. My children talk about it, so I'm guessing that you talk about it. Now, lots of us who are talking about the election. Lots of us who are talking about the holiday plans. Lots of us who are talking about the weather. And I just wonder how much of our conversation actually on a week-to-week, -week, on a daily basis is full of grace. I wonder how much of our conversation is seasoned with salt, as Paul says that it should be. So be devoted to prayer, number one. Let your conversation be full of grace. Be wise in your interactions with outsiders. So here's the, the cast of characters that some of us have never heard of. Don't get a lot of play. So person number one, Tychicus. is the first guy we want to talk about. And I picked a word that has to do with Tychicus, and the word I chose is availability. And I found a picture of someone from that part of the world just to help us understand this is not some kind of like fairy tale words that Tychicus... We need to understand, like, actual dude. 
uh, with hopes and dreams and fears. So this isn't actually Tychicus. They didn't have a way to take a picture. I'm just helping you imagine, okay? So Tychicus, what do we know about him? Paul says that he's a dear brother, that he is a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant. Bam, can you put up that map? So here's what we know about Tychicus. We know that he's in Rome with Paul uh, while Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. Um, We know also that in Acts, I think it's chapter 20, there's this church down here in Jerusalem uh, that was really struggling financially. And so Paul trusts Tychicus to be one of the people that carries the offering for the Jerusalem church to the, the Jerusalem church. So how many of you know that you're not going to give money to someone and have it travel a distance if you don't trust them implicitly? And so Paul trusts him very much. And then in the book of Titus, you can kind of see this little island that's south of Ephesus. If I had a laser pointer, I would like do that. But I ordered a laser pointer and it's not here yet. It's supposed to be here tomorrow. Thanks, Amazon. So you just have to imagine with me. But future weeks, I'm going to have a laser pointer, you guys. I'm so excited. So that's the island of Crete. And something happens in the book of Titus. Paul lets Titus know, like, hey, I want you to come visit me. Like, I'm in Rome, and so I want you to come visit me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Tychicus to you so that you can come and see me. And so kind of step away from your ministry, step away from your church. I'm sending Tychicus to you. And then later in 2 Timothy, Paul is at the very end of his life. And Paul is saying, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Like this is basically the end. You know, this kind of famous notion, I have fought the good fight and I've finished the race. Like that's where Paul is. And then Paul sends Tychicus to Ephesus. And the idea is that Tychicus would be in charge of that church in that city. And that's a church that's a big deal to Paul. Paul spent a lot of time in that place, a lot of investment, a lot of conversation, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And he trusts Tychicus to go to that place. So what do we know about Tychicus? We know he's trusted by Paul. And he's reliable in getting the job done and available for more. He's someone that Paul has trusted again and again and again. And so we have a question in front of us today. Like, do you know someone like that? Do you know a Tychicus? Someone who's available? Who will say with their life, like, what can I do? How can I serve? And I want to ask, like, are you that way? Like, are you an available person? And then to ask about us, like, are we a Tychicus kind of church? Uh, Like, are we an available church? Or do we get caught in all of the stuff that we would like to do and we find that when God calls, we're busy. And so just a good question for us to consider even this morning, like, hey, when's the last time that God called you to something and you actually had to wrestle with it? 
Not it was a quick yes or a quick no, but you had to wrestle with it. Tychicus is someone who has done that in his life. And so if availability is one of the features of our life with Christ, if part of like what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be available, like what gets in the way? Like what gets in the way of our availability? What helps and what hurts in saying I'm available? So that's Tychicus. And now let's talk about Onesimus. So Onesimus is going to come to the church in, Coloss- in Colossians with Tychicus. Onesimus' is a guy's name means useful. He's described as a faithful and a dear brother. But here's something interesting about Onesimus, is that he used to be a slave. So he was a slave for this man named Philemon. And Onesimus steals something from Philemon, and he runs away. We don't know what he stole. We don't know if it was food. We don't know if it was clothing. Who knows? I think it's possible that something was taken from Onesimus. Uh, As a slave, that would happen. It wouldn't be surprising to me if he stole that thing back. That happens in my household sometimes when things get taken away. Things get stolen back. Anybody in the house? And so Onesimus takes off. But something incredible happens. He comes face to face with Paul. And because he comes face to face with Paul, he comes to know Jesus. And so he gives his life to Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul, as he learns about Onesimus' story, says, hey, bro, like, you need to go make this right. Like, you can't follow Jesus and still have this, like, disobedience in your life. So once we come to Jesus, we can't just, like, forget about everything else that happened and just, well, I'm going to start, I'm going to start new and move forward from this moment. Like, no, what has happened matters. And so we need to make right what has happened before we came to know Christ. So sometimes that's having a conversation. Sometimes that's, that's actually making amends for the wrong. And so that's what Paul says for Onesimus to do. So Onesimus does that. And Paul writes a letter. It's in your Bible. It's like a one-page book. So if you've never read a book of the Bible, Philemon's a great place to start because you're real encouraged five minutes in because you did it. And it's a letter that Paul writes to Philemon saying, hey, I'm sending Onesimus to you. And I'm expecting that you receive him not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And also, oh yeah, um, set up a room in your house for me because I'm going to come visit you. So that's like a little bit of the trump card that Paul plays in that moment. Yes, I'm asking you to receive him as a brother, and just so you know, if you don't, I'm showing up. So let's get this thing done. Here's what's amazing. Both of these people are in the Colossian church. So if you're a part of the Colossian community of believers, Philemon and Onesimus could have like sat next to you during the singing and the offering and the teaching time. So when Paul talks about Onesimus, they're like, oh yeah, like that's the slave that ran away. Like they know who this person is. And so why does Paul include Onesimus in this list? I think there's a redemptive message that Paul is trying to teach the Colossian people. And I think there's a question in here for us. 
Like, is there, is there someone who has failed us that we need to receive and to restore back? Like, what are some steps that we can take toward restoration, toward things being made right? Like, like what a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus is that there's a guy in church who has a slave who steals something from him and runs away. And then the slave comes home. And the slave owner no longer treats him as a slave, but as a brother. Because I don't know about you, but I think it takes a thief to find a thief. And I think Onesimus is not the only one who has stolen what is, does not belong to him and who has run away and who has been faced with the choice to go and return and make it right. So then we have Tychicus, we have Onesimus, and then we have Mark. So in Acts chapter 15, there's a little bit of church drama going on. And Mark and Paul, they split up because Paul really was relying on Mark and Mark didn't show up for him. Mark disappointed him really bad. Like when he needed him, when he needed him to show up, he wasn't there. How many of you in this room have experienced that in your life? And then Mark decides, hey, you know what? I'm out. I'm not really interested in being a part of this gospel ministry with you anymore. And he walks away. This is a really powerful moment in the Gospels. Because church people are supposed to, like, get along. I thought church people aren't ever supposed to have conflict like that. I thought church people are supposed to be nice. I thought church people are supposed to always get it right. These are two followers of Jesus who aren't getting along and who have hurt one another deeply. But some time passes and something happens to Mark. He learns and he grows. And Paul receives him back. How do we know that? Because he named him here in the letter. He names him as a way to say that I understand and I see the growth in this follower of Jesus. And I celebrate that. And we've been reconciled. Like things were not okay between us. And now they are okay. Not because of my ability to forgive, but because the power of the Spirit in my life has called me to that. And so the truth is, you know, not everyone changes over time. Not everyone does. But some people do. And so church, it's really important for us that we leave the door open for people to return. That doesn't mean that we completely push away what they did, what they said, how they abandoned us, how they hurt us, how they wounded us. But as followers of Jesus, the door has to be cracked. Because God might want to do a, a work of resurrection in their life, a work of transformation, a word of grace. And what if we've just closed ourselves off to that person? 
And of course, there are situations where it is unsafe to do that, and they need to show and express evidence that you can trust them again. Because trust matters. Trust is important. And trust can be lost, but I believe trust can also be redeemed. And that's what happens here. And so I think it's important for us to consider, like, why it's so important to be open to changing our opinion about somebody. Like, why is that important? Like, have you ever had an experience where you've changed your mind about someone? Like, what thoughts or emotions cause us or tempt us to write someone off? To say, like, no, there's no way they're, they're not coming back. There's no way I'm going to let them back in. Like, you're out you're labeled. You're done. I'm sorry, but the gospel just doesn't allow us to do that, people. I'm so glad that's not been done with me. And Mark is an example as the credits roll on this book of what God can do. Then Epaphras. Uh, Epaphras is, is central to the story because Epaphras is in Ephesus with Paul. He meets Paul. Paul leads him to Christ. You see in like a pattern here, these people who interact with Paul like come to know Jesus. And so he comes to know Jesus through Paul and he's discipled. And then Paul sends Epaphras back to Colossae where he's from. And Epaphras tells a bunch of people about this Jesus character then there's a church that's established in his hometown in the city of Colossae. And their church is there because of Epaphras and because of Paul. And because of the work of God in Paul and the work of God in Epaphras, there is a work of God in Colossae. Amazing. But in this moment, Epaphras is in Rome. Look at that beard, by the way. That's pretty amazing. He's in Rome with Paul. And it's interesting what Paul says about him. That he is someone who is wrestling in prayer for the Colossian people. Um, it's this word, because I know you want to know, agonizomai. Agonizomai is to wrestle. To wrestle in prayer. Like, Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone who is a wrestler in prayer. They're devoted to it. And they've come back again and again and again and again. Paul says, Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for you. It's this active, hard-working picture of prayer. It's not the picture that a lot of us maybe grew up in of at the table with our hands folded and our head bowed and our eyes closed. But when there is agonizomai, when there's wrestling, like there's tears behind that. There's anger behind that. There's powerlessness behind that. So do you know anyone like that? And then is there anyone in your life that you are praying for like that? Like, are you wrestling in prayer for anyone? Are you wrestling in prayer for a person? 
Are you wrestling in prayer for a country? Are you wrestling in prayer for a people group? Are you wrestling in prayer for a family? Paul seems to think this is part of what it means to have life in Christ. I'm going to invite the band up as we close this morning. We have one more person to talk about. And it's this woman, Nineveh. Uh, this is picture, there's a picture, anything that she would bake, I'm confident I would eat. So she just has that look about her. That she knows what's up in that way. Nympha was someone who left her home and resources to God's disposal. She opened her home to help further the work of God in her town. And she lives in this place called Laodicea. You know, in, in Paul's day, there was no church buildings. So they met in homes. You know, and some of us freak out when a family is coming to our house for dinner. Imagine having the church over. Whole church. People you like, people you don't. People you enjoy being around, people that drive you just a little bit crazy in your house. And can I just tell you, there's a, there's a generosity that's necessary for you to live life like that with other people. There's a generosity towards them that you need to have towards other people to allow them into your home, into your life, into your story. But there's also a generosity towards yourself that you need to have. Like you need to be okay with them seeing stuff. You need to be okay with them seeing the dust that's collected or the laundry that's piled up or the dishes in the sink. Or they find the dirty dish that you put in the oven with the ovens off. I'm maybe the only one that does that, but there might be someone else somewhere who has done that from time to time. There's a, there's a generosity that goes along with that. And so here's what I believe, that when our stuff is at God's disposal, our lives are at God's disposal. And so I just want to ask you if, if Nympha's life will impact yours. That like her stuff was at God's disposal. So that meant that her, her life was at his disposal. Her life was placed on the altar for God to do whatever he desired to do. And so today, as the credits roll on the book of Colossians, and we think about this man, Tychicus, who was available to God, and as we think about this man, Onesimus, who was useful, didn't have a, a perfect story, but he was used by God in a, in a powerful way, used by God to tell a church, the gospel means it's never too late and you're never too far. And risen to life means risen to life. And then Mark got in a big fight with Pastor Paul. Let him down in like the worst way. The moment that he needed him, he wasn't interested. But they're reconciled to each other. And then Epaphras, this man who wrestles in prayer. 
And then Nympha, this woman who opens her home, opens her life, gives her stuff, her resources at God's disposal so that her life might be. And so as we close the book of Colossians, just want to ask you of the five words, five characters that we talked about today, like is there one that you find yourself identifying with? And is there one that really challenges you? Like, oh, I, I, I want to be more like that. I need some more agonizomai in my story. I need to wrestle in prayer more than I have in 2020. Or God needs to have his hand on my possessions more than he has. As so you think about 2021, which a lot of us have been doing since March, like which of these characters, which of these lives would you desire to be more like in this next year? And now it's tempting at the end of this book to just let the credits roll, to jump out of our seat when we see on the screen the costume director and the makeup coordinator and everybody who was involved in making of this movie and then just go home. But there's something powerful, I think, about sitting and watching the credits roll and start to just look at the lives of all of these people. And they're, they're never on a movie poster. Like, when's the last time you heard a church doing a Bible study on Nympha? We're going to do 10 weeks studying this person's life. No. We're not interested in Tychicus or Epaphras. I mean, Mark happens to write a book of the Bible, so we're interested in him. And I think there's a word in there for us. And I think the word is just simply to allow the, the light that is within you to be brighter than the light that shines on you. That's the word for us. That's the sermon in a sentence. You're like, bro, couldn't have just done that today. But the light that is within you should always and forever shine brighter than the light that's on you. I happen to believe that the, the brighter the light within you, you will have opportunities for the light to shine on you. But where we can start is how open are we today to that light burning within us so we might tell the world what has happened to us, the grace and the mercy and the compassion and the victory of God that has found us in the person of Jesus. Will you pray, Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your word, for the random people in it, for the people in it who aren't famous, for the way they challenge us to think deeper and more beautifully about the life that you've called us to. And so thank you for Tychicus and for Onesimus and for Mark and for Epaphras and for Nympha for Aristarchus. All of these people, God, and for how their lives speak to us. Thank you so much for this church and for this time as we step into this new year in 2021. We do pray that you would help us take steps toward you so we may have a fuller sense of the life you've called us to and we'd make a difference. 
in this world. And our gathering would not just be for the sake of ourselves and our growth, but our gathering would be for the sake of others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We stand, we're going to sing one more together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it, every promise from God, every declaration of His great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only He can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found this message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying this message beyond the walls of our church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.